Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. It's spring in Washington, D.C., and that means we have cherry blossoms, tourists, and at the Supreme Court, we have retirement talk once again. Joining me this week is Steve Wormiel, who wears many hats. He's the biographer of the late Justice William Brennan. He covered the Supreme Court for the Wall Street Journal from 1979 until 1991, and he's a professor at American University's Washington College of Law, where he teaches, among other things, a seminar on the Supreme Court. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Glad to be here, and and a good topic. Uh, always a good topic. Always one of my favorite topics. Um, yeah, let's let's start with Justice Clarence Thomas, who suggested in late March that he's not retiring this year. He was at a dinner at. Pepperdine Law School, and we in fact have some audio that we can play. Here's Justice Clarence Thomas talking with the incoming president of Pepperdine. Let's fast forward to 20 years from now, 20 years from now, at your retirement party. I'm not. No, 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 you're not going to argue with me. No, but I'm not retiring. 20 years? No. 30 years? No. Let's let's fast forward to the time at which... uh, you go home. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have any say about that. The retirement rumors have been swirling about Justice Thomas for a while, ever since Donald Trump came on, came into the White House. Uh, in some ways, they don't necessarily seem that logical. He's, by Supreme Court terms, relatively young, even though he's the third oldest justice. He's only, and I'm putting only in air quotes here, because... He's a uh, Supreme Court Justice, 71, which is young for a Supreme Court Justice. So what, so what's the, what is the source of the, the rumors that he might want to retire? Why would he want to retire now that he is sort of on a court with a solidly conservative majority? I think it comes from two things. Um, one is a hope among conservatives that they could get a younger conservative in, maybe somebody who's in their 40s and would have another 30-plus years uh, on the bench, whereas uh, Justice Thomas is likely to, you know, might, if he stays on, would serve maybe at most another 10 or a dozen years. So I think that was one idea. The second is there have always, from day one, been people who said he doesn't like the job. He doesn't really enjoy the court and eventually would decide enough was enough. You wrote on SCOTUS blog that talking about another justice that in the retirement sweepstakes, the spotlight shines most brightly on Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, That was 2012. So here we are in 2019. You wrote then that she said that Justice Ginsburg wanted to serve like Justice Brandeis until she was 82. And now she's 86 years old. She faced a lot of public pressure to retire during the Obama administration. I think we've passed Brandeis and we're on to Holmes uh, <laughs> okay. or, Ste- was- or Stevens, who were 90, I think. Yes, um, he was 90. And Holmes, I think, as well, was 90 when he, when he stepped down. So uh, she's, maybe she's got a new, a new goal to aspire to. Um, you know, she's had health issues, including uh, recently with uh, a spot of cancer on her lung. Um, and a fall that broke some ribs. Every time there are health issues, people speculate uh, that this is the moment when she'll retire. And, and in Washington, this this is like a sport. It's part wishful thinking by people who want her to leave so that 
their party or their president can fill the vacancy. Um, and, and it's part just kind of speculation. How can she possibly continue? But, you know, the she came back from the most recent health scare and immediately produced three Supreme Court opinions uh, that were sort of faster than anybody else on the court has gotten their opinions out this term. I think trying to show people I'm not going anywhere, I'm healthy and I'm doing the job. Yeah, there was a story in Politico which suggested that after she'd missed the oral arguments in January that suggested that some of the officials in the Trump administration were measuring the drapes, so to speak, starting to talk about possible successors. And literally the next day, there was an announcement from the Public Information Office about how her recovery from cancer surgery was on track. Um, it didn't seem like that much of a coincidence, necessarily. And then they, as you said, they came back, she, they came back and boom, she had all of these opinions. Like she really was, when they said she was working from home, she really, she really was, was working from home. She, in fact, if anything, you know, people always ask, how does she look on the bench? And if anything, she, she in some ways looks stronger than, than I she I mean, has she's always looked frail on the bench. Yes. I mean, you know, she sits with her head down. And, and so people, if you don't know anything about her, your first glimpse of her on the bench or off the bench, she's a small somewhat frail looking person you would you know you'd be kind of stunned and say how could this person really be a supreme court justice but she's not about to let anybody push her out of a job that i think she feels she's still doing well and 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 wants to do um and and i think that's the critical thing she wasn't going to do that for liberals who wanted her to retire and let obama replace her and she's not going to do it for Trump. She's going to stay as long as she thinks she can do the job. Part of this, I call it a sport. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily funny, but part of it is always that the rumors take on a life of their own. I would say there will be rumors from now until the day she either does retire or leaves the bench in some other way that will speculate that she's about to retire or is in such ill health that she can't do the job. Um, and those rumors are kind of unfortunate, but but there's no way to stop them. They will continue forever. And it does, I have to say, it gets ghoulish at some point, right? This speculation, um, you know, we're, we're not... At some level, it's speculation about a Supreme Court vacancy, but at another level, it's speculation about a human being's health and and longevity, and it's kind of a bizarre thing. It is, yeah, when you think about it in that way. Yes. The decision, she has clearly made a decision. She made a decision during the Obama administration that whatever happened in the 2016 election, she was going to try and stay. Um, the decision to try and stick it out, so to speak, has not always worked out the way that some of the previous justices might have hoped. You've written about Justice Brennan, yeah, whose biography you wrote. So talk, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Justice Brennan and Thurgood Marshall sure. both back-to-back. -back. Um, um, Marshall, even even more strongly than Brennan, always said he planned to basically die in the job, you know, die with his boots on. Um, uh, Justice Brennan intended to stay as long as he, he could, uh, had no plans to retire, but in 1990, suffered a stroke and was told by his doctors that if he didn't cut back, 
um, it, it would jeopardize his life. And so he retired, um, even though George Bush was the, the first George Bush was president. I think it's fair to say Justice Brennan, even though he was appointed by a Republican, Eisenhower, would not have chosen to have a Republican president pick his successor. Um, but he retired because of health. And Thurgood Marshall, a year later in 1991, same thing. Um, I think partly frustrated by Brennan's departure and and the fact that that meant the court was going to be going his way even less often. And then also for health reasons, also gave the first George Bush the chance to fill the vacancy. So we got David Souter for Justice Brennan's seat and Clarence Thomas for Justice Marshall's seat, and neither of those was planned. A story that has gotten a little bit of, of airplay again recently, another story that was the sort of the retirements, uh, the retirement of Justice O'Connor and the death of Chief Justice William Rehnquist. Can you talk a little bit about that? So the 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 situation there was an interesting one of, of kind of sequencing and um, and and not wanting to have simultaneous retirements and who was who was doing what to whom and so um, oh, uh, Justice O'Connor had planned to retire um, I, I think a year later um, and Chief Justice Rehnquist we don't know all the details about what happened with his health yet but he seems to have been in denial about how serious and ultimately fatal um, his health problems were. And so he told Justice O'Connor she had to retire in in 2005 because um, Rehnquist was going to think about staying on longer and they didn't want to have simultaneous retirements. And so O'Connor wasn't quite ready, but, but uh, Chief Justice kind of pushed her into an earlier announcement um and then the chief justice died um and and so um they had initially nominated john roberts to fill o'connor's seat pulled that back and and then nominated him and decided to go forward with the chief justice's vacancy first and then to fill o'connor's seat so it was an odd kind of interplay but between the two justices but then other justices, like Kerry Blackman, have been a little bit more strategic about their retirements. Some have done it deliberately with a particular president in the White House. Uh, you know, there's all different kinds of practices. Sure. Some some justices will give significant advance notice to right. the White House. All of the justices who had announced their retirements recently had retired in the had announced their retirements in the spring, and so just, when Justice Kennedy hadn't announced in the spring. Many people assume that he wasn't going to retire, but then he surprised us at the end of the term. It's it's over the time that I've followed the court, you know, which is a bunch of decades, more than I care to admit. Um, it's been a mixed bag. Um, the tradition for a while was that justices announced their retirement on the last day of the term. So I can remember vividly Justice Lewis Powell um, announcing on the last day of the term. Um, I, I can remember um, the last day of the term uh, in 1991. I was at the press room um, packing up my decisions and materials to go downtown to the Wall Street Journal office. 
and I got a call from somebody inside the court who said, don't leave yet, and Justice Marshall announced his retirement a short time later on the last day of the term. Brennan's happened uh, a month after the term was over because he'd gone off traveling and uh, decided he had to retire when he got back. Um, Blackman and White sort of did it, you know, sometimes they'll let the White House know with some more advanced warning. Um, Chief Justice Berger, I think we learned after the fact, had had let President Reagan know with some significant advance warning, but no public announcement until it was actually announced at the at the White House. So it's been a it's been a really mixed bag, and and now there's sort of no clear established practice anymore. I think. Although Kennedy, I always had the sense that part of the rationale for the justices who announced in the spring was to give the president time to choose a successor, nominate the successor, the Senate could hold hearings over the summer, and have the new justice on the bench in October when the court came back from the summer recess. And even with Kennedy only announcing at the end of the term, they still almost accomplished that with Justice Kavanaugh over the summer. They, you know, the Trump administration is such a well-oiled machine when it comes to judicial nominees that they jumped right into action. And and I think that's a good point. I, I certainly was among those who predicted that the way that played out, he almost certainly wouldn't be ready for the start of the new term and that it would probably be, you know, November or December before mm-hmm. he was able to join the court. So it did unfold much more efficiently and much quicker than I think um, I'd expect it. I don't know how strategic the justices are in thinking about that when they're planning their retirement. Um, certainly those that have announced it earlier in the spring, I think, were exactly as you suggested, thinking about the efficiency of, of accomplishing the, the confirmation of their successors. Do you think there's an effect if the justices announced early, if Justice Kennedy had announced his retirement back in the spring on either sort of the rest of the term or the selection of cases for the following term. Although when you look at the cases that the court had in the first, in the first part of this term, you, you really have the sense that even if the justices didn't know he was leaving, and it doesn't sound like they did, they, they must have suspected it because there were not many high-profile cases in the first part of this term. Right, not a lot of high-profile cases granted for, for this for the, past fall. For the past fall. And then um, I've been teaching constitutional law and teaching First Amendment and wondering, for example, I was just teaching the Masterpiece Cake Shop case from last spring, the one about the Colorado baker who didn't want to bake the wedding cake for the same-sex couple, uh, where the court said that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had, had in effect discriminated against him because of his religion, against the baker. But what the court decided in that case, written by Justice Kennedy, who knew he was going to be retiring at that time, is really not what anybody was expecting the court to decide. It was a much narrower decision that didn't really resolve any of the major issues presumably raised by that case. So I've wondered about that, whether Justice Kennedy, knowing that he was leaving was willing to say well let's just do what we can in this case and let's not push to 
to get to all of the major issues that the case presents, in part because I'm going to be gone and I don't care. Right, um, partisan gerrymandering right, last year. Right, punting again punting. On, on gerrymandering. Interesting to think. I mean, it, it, we'll never know, I right. guess, for sure, but and, and it's not 100% obvious, but it is an interesting thing to think about how it might affect the the kind of late-term decisions. You wonder, particularly the sort of more pragmatic justices like Justice Breyer and Justice Kagan, if they might have pressed harder for a different outcome in those cases, knowing that this might have been their last chance. They were chance. about to lose their, <laughs> lose their critical swing vote. But we, we may never know because we'll probably never, maybe Andrew will read the papers someday, but we'll, we'll probably never read there. those papers. <laughs> So, I mean, I would, uh, you know, I think one thing we haven't talked about is is we, we've alluded to the question of how strategic justices may be about which party in, is okay. in power um, when they retire. But it's not, you know, as we've said, it doesn't always work out that way. We talked about Brennan and Marshall who wouldn't have chosen to retire with a Republican president. Some justices, it's just time to retire. Um, for health reasons, for feeling that they've been there long enough um, and and it's time to get out. And so it's not, I think there's a public perception that it's a highly political choice. And it often is, but I think it isn't always. And, and it's important to understand that sometimes it just happens. Yes, I mean, there were a lot of liberals who thought that Justice Kennedy couldn't possibly retire on Donald Trump's watch, even though he was a Repu- you know a Republican appointed by a Republican president, because they couldn't imagine that he would feel any sort of connection with Donald Trump, and it turns out that he did. And you know, there were theories about Donald Trump appointing Neil Gorsuch to sort of signal to, to Justice Kennedy that it, it would be fine for him to retire. So it sounds like there's a lot there's a lot going on. You know the idea, which which has been floated widely, that that the Trump White House made Justice Kennedy feel like his legacy would be safe because of the Gorsuch nomination, and then because Kavanaugh was a, was a law clerk. I, I find that hard to accept. Uh, it, it you know anybody who sort of looks at the current makeup of the court. Clearly, things that Justice Kennedy wrote and cared about are going to be in play mm-hmm. in future cases. And so it's hard to imagine that he really was thinking, okay, I can retire now because they've assured the the sanctity of my legacy. I, you know, I think he retired because he was getting old and and tired and, and uh, felt it was time to it's give time it up. It's time to retire, yes. Yeah, you read about some of the stories about Justice O'Connor after she retired and people asked her, does it does it bother you that these decisions which you were a central part are being dismantled? And her answer is just essentially you, you just kind of move on. Right. Um, I mean, the, the more influential factor, I think, in recent decades, perhaps until now, um, was the the retirement of Justice Potter Stewart, 
which created the vacancy for Justice O'Connor. Justice Potter Stewart um, went into some degree of fairly rapid physical decline after he retired, and I think it shocked some of his colleagues in the early 80s and maybe led to some of them saying, we're going to stay where we are because we saw what happened to Potter Stewart. So, you know, there's this idea that, that a Supreme Court justice is is exercising their mind in in a highly um, um, you know challenging um, way that keeps them kind of mentally vigorous and uh, and alert. And if you're aging and you give up that mental vigorous um, role, that it will affect your mental health and physical health. And Potter Stewart was kind of the the example of that, I think, to people like Powell and Berger and Brennan and Marshall and Blackman, you know, all of whom stayed on till till they were pretty well senior in age. Um, but I guess that's less true now. I think the dynamic, maybe the the legacy of that Potter Stewart effect, maybe has worn off. And it is, as you say, a, a highly personal decision. Justice O'Connor left. It's, we had Evan Thomas on a couple of weeks ago to talk about his biography of Justice O'Connor. Justice O'Connor left to take care of her husband. Right. And she, he had done so much to help her career, and she said, now it's my time to help him. Right. And and I think, at least as I understand it, you know, once his Alzheimer's progressed, she maybe regretted. Not that she could go back, but regretted that she'd made that choice. Justice Brennan almost immediately regretted that he'd left the court. Um, I don't think he had the the capability of really continuing at the same level that he had performed, but it didn't change the fact that he was kind of instantly sorry that he was no longer a Supreme Court justice. There are stories about Justice Stevens, who decided to retire. Essentially, he'd, he'd stumbled a little bit reading an opinion right. from the bench and decided it was time to retire, and it turned out that that was less that he was deteriorating then you know, sort of I think he was tired and he'd been traveling too much right and 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 probably could have stayed on I mean the the other version of this that we haven't discussed at all is Justice Souter who you know who basically was in perfectly good health and and comparatively speaking a relatively young man um, but who didn't really like it in Washington and didn't really Truly love being didn't like on the in court, Washington and he wanted to get out of here um, so he retired and moved back to New Hampshire um, sits on the first and, circuit and really just because he wanted to move back to New Hampshire not for any other particular reason good for him yeah and I think he enjoys sitting on the first circuit Steve Ormiel thanks very much for joining us thanks for having me it was a pleasure that's another episode of Skoda's Talk. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Case Text, our sponsor, and thanks to our production team, Andrew Hamm, Edith Roberts, and John Levitan.